Hello, my little ghouls and goblins. Welcome to Late Night, which is the show that you're listening to right now. But if you like shows and to be a ghoul and or a goblin, I'd like to tell you about an amazing live stream that I'm a part of on Halloween night called The Witching Hour. Our ghost host with the most, Susie Burhow, will be guiding us through a magical evening with guests like Tootie McNooty, Rachel Sam Evans, Olivia Gatwood, Kate Clover, and your girl Layton for a night of scary stories, music, goth TED Talks, and more. If you like deep cuts or any of the work that I do with VHSs or circuit bending, you won't want to miss my set. It's an incredible show that I am so excited about, and I really hope you can join us. And even if you can't join us on the day for the live stream, if you buy a ticket, the VOD will be available for you afterwards. Speaking of tickets, they're on sale now for $12 at witchinghourlive.com, and a portion of the proceeds from the show will go to the Ochre Project, which is a really awesome charity for supporting the Black trans community. You can also pick up some witchy merch that I designed. So if you ever wanted my art on a tangible object, we got two shirts and a hoodie, and you can also get a bundle with tickets. So you should go check it out. That's, again, witchinghourlive.com. All right, shilling over. Enjoy the episode. Susie, have you been partaking in the seasonal Starbucks beverages and or pastries? Ah, okay. So not the pastries because like I only go to like the tiny Target. Oh. It's a Target Starbucks. I don't go to a Starbucks Starbucks location. So I feel like it's always picked over. Yeah. That tiny Target is very strange. (laughs) It's not ideal. But, uh, you know, I have been getting uh, pumpkin spice wraps, just, you know, trying to like wedge the pumpkin into my year, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Pretend that there's any sort of linear sense of time. Yeah. When it's 90 degrees out. It's so stupid. I mean, neither of you grew up with what I would call actual fall. Mm -mm. Yeah. I I don't know quite how it was uh, in North Carolina, Layton, but it surely was warmer than it was in New Jersey. Yeah. Like we got jackets over Halloween costumes, weather every year, every year <laughs> by the end of October. Like it was a constant fight with your parents. Cause you're like, I want to go out in my costume, you know, I'm Batman. They're like, you have to wear this parka. Batman would wear a jacket. Batman's all about safety more than anything. So yes. <laughs> Won't kill anybody. Always about safety. But it sucks. And that's what the nice thing about, at least out here, is that Audrey's never had to wear a jacket over her costume. Oh. Well, like conversely for me, it was always like you have to really choose your costume around. It's going to be hot as balls and super muggy. Mm. And so I can't do anything that's like a mask or a full body thing. Like we got to keep it loose. I get that deodorant on. I'm 12. Let's just really <laughs> slather it up. But it wasn't like this hot, right? Like LA. No, God. It was not all the halcyon days of it being slightly less hot. What was it like in Florida? You know, surprisingly, I think colder this time of year than it is in California. Interesting. Because I can recall going to like, you know, different Halloween events and it being cool in the evenings, you know. But I never had to wear a jacket. You know, Florida is pretty humid and hot. (laughs) Yeah. In the winter, I forget. What's cold? Is it like California cold or what? Yeah, cold is like 60 degrees. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, it gets maybe wow. to like 40s, maybe like late 30s if it's like really cold or early in the morning. But that's the extent of it in Florida. <laughs> uh, around Halloween was solidly in the 50s. 
I'd say, maybe a little lower at night. That sounds so fucking nice right now. Yeah. It's the best. Oh my God. Like this time of year, anywhere, anytime I can go anywhere cold, which we obviously can't right now. But if we can go to Minnesota to see Rachel's parents or, you know, uh, occasionally back to Jersey, you know, it's so much better. And I just, I feel sad for people who never get to experience like an actual fall and fall in New England is just the absolute best. Oh my God. The colors. The colors are insane. You drive all around. It's nice. It's like fire outside. You can put a fire. You can, it's, I love fall in New England. Oh, crunchy leaves. Crunchy leaves and wet leaves with big fucking slugs in them that are real gross. Oh God. Amazing. It's, it's awesome. Do you guys have like any big Halloween plans for this year that you didn't get to because of COVID? Not really. Like we're going to have one other kid over for a backyard, like basically something like an Easter egg hunt where the, the families, you know, kind of stay apart, but the kids can play together. I I wonder if people will hate me for this, but the compromise we've reached, it, it is just untenable to keep our child completely away from all other children for as long as we have. So yeah. once a week, we do a play date with one kid and we just say, kids, go nuts. Like the parents stay apart and we just let the kids go play together. And it's always the same family. It's always the same little girl. Uh, and that is the, you know, is it the world's safest thing? No. Is it, to me, an acceptable risk? Yes. Yeah, for the social and emotional development of your small child. Yeah, it's just you can't have a, a six-year-old completely isolated from all other kids. It just, you know, she's an only child. There's no good answer. And believe me, you know, we hemmed and hawed about this forever. But we decided that one play date a week for a couple hours where they can just go nuts together is worth it. Yeah. I'm not a holiday person, even if it's for Halloween, like I, you know, because Halloween's a year round thing for me, like that's just where I exist. And so <laughs> yeah. October is like, all right, is everybody caught up on my level now? Great. Um, and then it's the true time for me to harass everyone into watching the horror movies that I like. But anyway, last year, I believe uh, Vern and I were just fucking around like smoking weed and eating like we just bought a bunch of big bags of candy and we decided to like start throwing candy at the kids who were walking past like hey you want to catch this because you know it's not like with apartments that you can be on the ground level and uh kind of do the knock knock thing and turns out kids bad at catching candy but there was one like very cute little girl who was like dressed as a fairy or something like maybe four or five and we're like all right you ready catch and then I threw it and it hit her smack just square in the middle of the face. And I just watched in slow motion just the the change from this excited, hopeful, just like moon-faced child staring up at me to the moment of impact. And uh, Vernon got it on video. <laughs> and it was um, a real low point for me. So basically our only big Halloween plans this year were to avoid uh, me just yeeting a piece of candy directly into a four-year-old's face was we were going to dress up as like fishermen and get like fishing poles and put little um, clothespins on the end and do like fishing from the balcony of like, hey kids, you want some candy? And like throw it over and be like, oh, I got a big one. That's a solid plan. Yeah. So that's not happening. I don't know anyone that's actually going trick-or-treating. Like don't go fucking trick-or-treating. 
yeah, you know, you can hold off this year. And, you know, if your kid is really upset that they missed out on trick-or-treating this year, you know, maybe be like Brian and think of something fun you can do in the backyard and still make it happen, but safe. You, as the parents, you get your candy, you go into a room in your house, you close the door, have your child walk up, knock on the door. You're doing quick change costumes. You're going to the next room. You're simulating trick-or-treating. Get some funny wigs on. You just be like, oh, what are you supposed to be? And then do that every single time. Kids love it. Kids love it when you're just patronizing them. Here's what I suggest. And this is not my original suggestion. I saw this actually today. I thought it was great. Get your kid in costume and go fucking walk around the neighborhood and wave at people. Scream trick or treat or happy Halloween at people. That way they get to show off their costume and then get candy from some other source, like order it, have it delivered to your house. And then the kid gets candy and gets to walk around outside in their costume. Win-win. Yeah. yeah, or you could have your kids at home, uh, you know, just like a couple of seven-year-olds and be like, all right, kids, we're going to watch The Exorcist. And then it's going to make them really interesting when they're older. <laughs> I, I will say I am glad there's less Halloween this year because it gives people less of a chance to wear stupid election-themed costumes, which I think is a mercy for all of us. Oh, yes. The mercy of not having to see fly on Pence's head. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yes. A hundred percent. Or like, you know, the two headed like Trump Biden or whatever. It's like, come the fuck on. What are you doing? That's such a good like, OK, I don't need to talk to you. Like, we're good. We're good. We had a discussion. Rachel, like, loves decorating for Halloween and tricked out our front yard a little bit. You know, spooky skeleton hands, like a projector that projects uh, little ghosties up on the wall, like a couple gravestones. And we had a discussion where I was like, gravestones? Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. And they say like RIP and happy Halloween and whatever on them. But I had to seriously consider whether that was okay. Like n- not will people be mad that I don't care about, but like, do I feel morally okay? putting up a gravestone in a year when, you know, hundreds of thousands of people worldwide have died of a, a, a bad disease. So yeah. we, we put them up <laughs> and maybe that makes us bad people. But at least your yard looks great. I don't think it's a bad thing. Graveyards exist regardless. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Ignoring death doesn't make it go away. No. Yeah. I have a question for each of you. Brian, I think I've asked this of you before, but what are each of your like best Halloween costumes you've ever done? My, my go-to for years in junior high school was Rasputin. And I would put on a monk robe. I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I was obsessed with early 20th century Russian history when I was like 13. So I would <laughs> dress up as Rasputin and walk around and consult the Tsarina. Not that anyone dressed up as Alexandra or whatever. But uh, yeah, that was my go-to because it was like a thing I really liked and it was a very easy costume because you could just put on a monk robe and be like, yeah, I'm Rasputin. <laughs> I- I've never been great with costumes and I have never been super good at putting stuff together. There was the Halloween. Actually, I guess this would have been October 2001, a month after 9-11. And Mm. I was living in Santa Barbara because I was a visiting grad student. And I decided, like, I was just living there for a few months, didn't have the wherewithal to get a costume together. And at the time, I had, like, thick black plastic glasses and, you know, would wear these, like, kind of Oxford shirts all the time. 
and I went to a Halloween party, not in costume, and a dude walked up to me and he was like, oh, Rivers Cuomo, nice, great costume, buddy. <sighs> That's the meanest thing anybody could possibly say to you. I would just go It home. was pretty brutal, because <laughs> I, I, but I also got it. Yeah. But I was just like, yeah, I'm, this is what I look like. This is just my face. Susie, what about you? We do Halloween costumes every year, Aaron and I, my husband and I, we like to do a matching one. And one year we both wanted to be Snake from Metal Gear Solid, <laughs> which is my favorite game. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. You you were in the office at the time, I believe. Yes. Yeah. We, we both couldn't decide who got to be Snake. So we both win a Snake. And it was great. The cutest possible outcome. I love that so much. I think that was the year maybe that Rachel and Audrey and I dressed up as Bowie, Jennifer Connelly, and the baby from Labyrinth. Oh, yeah, from the Labyrinth. Aw. What is Jennifer Connelly's character name in Labyrinth? Toby is the baby. Susie, didn't you and Erin do um, Morticia and uh, Gomez one year? Oh, yeah. Oh, her name was Sarah, by the way. Sarah. Yeah, we we did Gomez and Morticia. We've done, oh, my God, another version of Marilyn Snake. <laughs> There's so many. I'm sure I'll post them all on like Instagram. I, every year I go through and like post up some of our like favorites from past years. So yeah, we've done like Sailor Moon and Tuxedo Mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that one. Too cute. You guys are the best. <laughs> uh, this year, Audrey is going to be Peach. Oh my yes. God. And yeah. this is her third year in a row being a Mario character. She's very excited. Over the weekend, a friend of hers had a socially distanced magic show in a park. So everyone, there was a magician and then they took over a huge area for not that many families and just spread whatever, six or seven kids out and said, okay, nobody get near each other. Everyone get on your little patch and watch this magician's name. His name was Mr. Fun and that's with two ends. And uh, this is the first live performance Audrey has seen in whatever, six months or something. And apparently according to Rachel, screamed so hard that she went hoarse and nearly passed out from delight because she was just like, ah, ah, and it was, you know, there's no joy quite like little kid joy. And then she came back and she was like, and his name was Mr. Fun. And he said he puts a Y at the end of the name. Then it's Mr. Funny. But it, people call him Mr. Bunny because Bunny rhymes with funny. And we all started saying Mr. Bunny and he got mad. And it was just like this. Okay. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> That's so pure. I feel like anyone can be a good magician at a distance. Like sleight of hand from like up close is like, oh, okay, put it in your sleeve. From a distance, it's like, holy fuck, where did it go? I think I would have yep. the same reaction as Audrey as a you know grown woman. Yeah. Well, with kids magicians also, it's 10% about the tricks and 90% about the patter and the yeah. theatricality of it. There's some rule of thumb I heard once, which is you basically can't do magic for kids under six because they're like, yeah, that disappeared, of course. Like, what, what, what did you expect? Things just disappear all the time. I have no object permanence. <laughs> yeah, like kids believe a lot of crazy, stupid stuff. So when you pull a bunny out of a hat, they're like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. Were you guys both there for the magician uh, that Brent got for one of his parties, El Robo? <laughs> no, I missed that, unfortunately. I saw El Robo. <laughs> Tell everybody about El Robo. Okay, Brent... Our manager, 
throws a good fucking party. That man knows how to party. Yes. Which I feel like if you know Brent, you might not guess that he's just great at doing that. What he's not good at is agreeing to be on our podcast, unfortunately. Yeah, what the fuck, Brent? So Brent, second week in a row. That's the opposite of Brentertainment. You know he's listening to this on his walk home right now. (laughs) As he smokes a cigar. (laughs) You know it. He better be. I give him 10% of what I make. Like, listen to my fucking podcast, Brent. Somebody add him. Don't add him. He'd hate that. No, add him. Definitely add him. (laughs) (laughs) He loves harassment. Anyway, he throws a great party. I mean, add him so we can listen to this and hear us talk about the bartender lady he always gets is fucking awesome. Anyway, they got a magician to come to this party of drunk adults and we ate it up. Like, I cannot express the sheer collective joy. No, but this guy was actually good. Like, he, he was, was actually good. Because his patter was like depressed cowboy shit, which, do I remember much about his magician set? No, I just remembered watching Jory Griffiths's face jaw on the floor. <laughs> just like agog with delight. <laughs> At one point, a helicopter was passing overhead and he like quickly covered up whatever trick he was doing and he was like, God damn, Chris Angel coming to steal my tricks again. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> he was so funny. Oh, that God. is fantastic. He also, though, was an accredited magician at the Magic Castle and um, got us to go there for a dinner party. And <gasps> we got to go to the Houdini seance room. Oh, that room's awesome. He followed through? Yeah, Whoa. he followed through. But yeah, uh, the Magic Castle, by the way, if you ever get a chance to go, you absolutely should. I've been wanting to go for a long time. Were we talking about this with Kate Gammon, who was on a couple of weeks ago? She said they've been doing Zoom shows and they're amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. There's so much creativity coming out right now. It's a real renaissance. Yeah. Speaking of which, it's almost as if there's a certain live show happening on Halloween night <laughs> that we'll discuss later in this episode. Discuss it now. Why not? They're going to forget about it because we're just doing such quality bits and having a little friendship over here for an hour and a half. I figure we leave it as a parting thing. A little spice, a little taste, a little foreplay. No, not that. Um, Too creepy. We'll circle back around. There's a thing that we touched on for a second that we very quickly moved on from. Speaking of your Rasputin costume, have you seen Rasputin's dick? No. Oh, uh, no, but I've heard about it. And... What I have heard about it is it had a large wart on it. Well, that's that's the the claim is that Rasputin was very good at sex, in part because of a large penis with a pronounced wart on it. That that is the rumor. I got to drop this in our text chain. Um, Oh no! I don't know about this. This feels aggressive. There you go. My gift to you. Oh, there it is. You know, that still doesn't look human. This is going to disturb you, though. Oh, there it is. Where is this? The Muda Museum or something? It isn't. That was my first guess. It's the Museum of Penises. Oh, that's a thing. Where is that at? My room. (laughs) (laughs) That's really Rasputin's dick? What? Yeah. It's the Icelandic Phallological Museum. That's awesome. Well, like, who, like, would consent to that? Me, right now, publicly. I've just put my dick in a jar? Yeah. I mean, I guess if you were a guy with a huge dick, then yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, this is what I'm saying. Like, after I die, (laughs) anyone is welcome to take my penis and put it in a jar and preserve it and use it to scare people. 
All right. We'll make sure that is carried out. I'm sure that uh, Rachel will make that happen for you. Rachel Rachel has no say in this decision. I'm putting this in the will. (laughs) It's the only thing in the will. Yeah, that's it. It's like, whatever happens to the money. I don't care. Just like kind of do something, whatever. It's just one paragraph that gives very detailed instructions on where my preserved penis in a jar is going to go. Yeah, Susie, I think you and I have talked about this before, but I think it's really fucked up that like legally you can't will your body to your family. Like if you want oh, your yeah. family to have your skull, like you legally cannot do it. That That is disappointing. That's you know, stupid. We, we have many family jokes about, you know, like, oh, when grandma dies, we're going to have her stuffed and put a heater in her and put her in a rocking chair in the corner and <laughs> we can always visit her. You know, like we've always <laughs> joked about that. My, my family's always been dark. So, of course, you know. I would be definitely interested. I would love to leave my tattoo for Aaron or like <laughs> something something like that I think would be interesting. What is the reason? Susie would know about more about this than I would, but like the possession of human remains is like an iffy, iffy thing. Okay, first of all, my body, my choice. If I'm dead, I want my family to have my skull and it's going to be in my will that it's going to sit on the mantle and I want it to look out judging. Mm-hmm. Or alternately, I want the rest of the body ashes forged into a knife, and then my progeny will use that blade to strike down the man who killed me. Wow. I love this. This is very poetic. Which is going to be me a year from now. <laughs> is that a threat? <laughs> threat or a promise? <laughs> well, you know, there might be some listeners in other countries like listening right now who are like, why can't you do that? Because you can do that in my country. And I think we should probably make it clear that in America, there's very strict rules on what constitutes a burial and that most, you know, people do go through with a complete burial process where their remains are left somewhere else and not kept. <laughs> so do we know what the reason for the law is here? Is there is there an obvious history of it? Was it some like, you know, mortician's lobby or something? I mean, I'm sure it has a lot to do with body snatching. Uh, have you heard yeah. of like Burke and Hare in Scotland? And Yeah, of course. They were the stealing bodies from basically fresh graves and selling them to medical schools. And I think that's why we have it in practice today. Like, for example, in some states, you can have a human skull in your possession, but it has to be older than 100 years and be used for medical study. Hmm. And it's super common, actually, to find human skulls or teeth or remains online because dental students still to this day use them for their classes. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a little morbid. I'm sure it would bother some people. Oh, another big part of it is there's no like legal way to skeletonize human remains for private ownership is like part of it. There's like abusive corpse laws that are like, you know, nobody fuck this, but that also applies to like, yeah, you can't have your mom's you know, femur or whatever. But then it's also Mm. like, yeah, you can't just like, you're going to skeletonize that shit on your own. No, you got to get somebody to do it for you. Nobody will do it. How do you do that? Dermatide beetles uh, would probably be the fastest way to do it. That's what most taxidermists would do to clean the flesh from bone. But uh, you can also put it out in the woods, put like a cage over it so that insects can get into the let's say leg for this example and eat it, but no animal can drag it away. Yeah. Like body farms. Yeah. Body farms are really interesting. I would love to get a tour of one sometime. (laughs) That's awesome. But yeah, uh, there's so many interesting things about just like the burial process and the death process. And if you guys ever want to talk about any of that stuff, I'm here for it. 
right now. <laughs> Presumably, Susie, you are a, uh, maybe even, you know her, Caitlin Doty. Do you know her? I do. I have a couple of her books. I'm a fan. I think she's great. I was going to ask, do you know her personally? Oh, you know, I don't. So she kind of runs in similar circles because, you know, I do the oddities flea market and a couple of things with my store. Right. Yeah. That's why I asked. I figured you two have a lot in common. Oh, yeah. It's just like we're like two ships in the night. You know what I mean? Like we always just seem to cross each other. Like she had her own mortals market where she was selling online and I applied to that. But unfortunately, they were already full up on vendors by then. And, you know, Mm. we always just miss each other. There's many other things I'm not mentioning because obviously there's projects coming into fruition now. But Uh yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know her, she has a channel, Good Death, right? Yes. Oh, she's amazing. Is mortician the proper term? Yeah. I would say she's a death positivity advocate. Yes, mm-hmm. a- absolutely. Who also is a like licensed mortician. And she's just awesome. We-, we went to see her book reading at the Regent for her book, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? Uh, questions <laughs> about death from children. And... She was phenomenal. She gave a great reading, then did a Q&A kind of thing. Uh, Rachel knew way more about her than, than I did, but I was really, really impressed. I thought she was phenomenal. Oh my gosh, yeah. Smoke Gets, Gets in Your Eyes is an awesome book. Yeah, I highly recommend those books to anybody who, I don't want to say is facing the death process, but to anyone because everyone will eventually. And it's really eye-opening to see how little options we have in America for our last rites and our burials compared to other countries, and especially uh, nature-friendly, I guess. Mm-hmm. Susie, did you ever play um, A Mortician's Tale? I did. I love that game. Yeah, right? My friend Gabby made it. I played it first, and then I met her at GDC, and like, just the best. So cool. And anybody who's interested in that kind of stuff, like, that game is super cool and very much about the like natural burial stuff, and you learn a lot about funerals and the process. I just, I love cremulators. First of all, great name. (laughs) It was a super tasteful game too. Like I felt like it it did a really good job of kind of being like an entry level, showing people like how much emotion you actually need to have a job like that. Because I think a lot of people think people who work in funeral homes are cold and, you know, they've been through too much. So they're just, they can't empathize anymore. But it's just quite the opposite. It seems like they just deal with it so much. Yeah, and it's super accessible. So even if you're not like a gamer, like check it out. It's really short. The art style is gorgeous. Like Gabby's the best. Caitlin's book reading, she said something to your point, Susie, about, you know, people working in funeral homes, how do they take it all on? I don't know if she, this is an original thing of hers or if she she got this idea from somewhere else, but it has really stuck with me, which is sympathy, not empathy. And... Mm. I was like, oh my God, that's it. Because, you know, the three of us are all public figures and we have a lot of correspondence with people or we hear a lot from fans who are going through very, very tough stuff. And at some point, if you take all of that on yourself, it becomes crushing. And this is something that I always have a problem with. My natural inclination is to just take it all on. But hearing her say, look, the way a funeral parlor deals with this or someone who works in the the death industry who's dealing with bereaved families is you can be sympathetic to their plight, but you can't share that emotion. So you you try not to be empathetic with what they're going through. Hmm. It's been such a useful framing for how to deal with people who are coming to you who have been through a tragedy or, or difficult stuff. This is like probably a year ago now we went to this and it's become kind of a mantra for me in, in how to deal with, 
with fans that talk about going through difficult stuff. You don't want to be dismissive, of course. That's like the worst thing you can be is just like, yeah, whatever, dude, you know. Yeah. Sorry about your mom. But you also don't want to, you know, you can't bring it all into your core or you'll implode at some point. Yeah. And it's also like the sheer volume of it where it becomes kind of like 100%. Caretaker fatigue is too strong of a way to put it, but it is like a similar thing of just like taking all that on is a lot. Yeah. Every once in a while, I do get messages like that, Brian, and it leaves me feeling so inadequate and awkward. And I know that these kids are reaching out for help, but I'm not a professional and I am, I'm not the person to talk to. Gosh, it's so hard to say because, like, you know, I love everyone who sends me messages and everyone who follows me. But if if you're in a spot where you need help, go to a professional, please. Like, don't don't reach out to a content creator online. You need to reach out to a family member or a friend. That's absolutely right. Yeah, because they're not going to be able to, like, help you the way that you need in that personalized way. Especially, I feel like in this past year, you know, we've seen a lot of content creators taking advantage of their followings, too. And it's just totally it's not an acceptable course of action. Yeah. I get the impulse to reach out. Of course I do. And I, you know, I appreciate whenever anyone sends us a message that says you mean a lot to me for any reason. Long ago, I mean, years ago, basically said we cannot respond to people going through difficult things for precisely the reason you said, Susie. Like, Mm -hmm. we're not professionals. And I don't know if whatever I say is going to make it worse. Yeah. And because I'm not schooled, I'm not trained, I don't know how to deal with people going through a crisis, I would be terrified that I would say something that would, you know, push them towards self-harm or or whatever, like make them more upset. Yeah. I mean, that's the fear. Yeah, for sure. And this is something in the beginning, you know, when we were just starting out, we get emails, we tried to respond to everybody. But after a while, when the bulk of the emails became, hey, I'm going through this hard thing. Can you please help? There's just almost nothing you can do. And this is a pretty real discussion. I've never talked about this publicly. Years ago had to, and this was me saying this, I cannot respond to people any longer because I worry what that's going to do. And then feeling terrible about that decision and saying, wait, does this make me a bad person now? Because I'm not responding to people going through crisis. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause like you want to be able to reply to them and like you want to be there for them, but also you've just helped, you know, X many other people and it's draining on your mental health, every person you help. Like people don't understand that, you know, when someone comes to you and tells you something so heavy, like, you know, my house burned down or my mom died or something like that. It's sometimes hard for people to bounce back from hearing something like that. It can take a while for you to, you know, be like, oh my gosh, that was really heavy. Let me feel that and put that down. Yeah. And that comes back to the like empathy versus sympathy thing of like, you know, it's one thing if it's like friends or whatever, like you want to be there for your friends and take care of them. But when it's sort of like an unsolicited, no matter how like well-intentioned or I mean, just kind of like needing help, like it becomes like a whole load because I definitely like you do the thing where you want to be a good person and you want to respond and you want to help. And then it just kind of becomes like, that feeling of helplessness where you feel like it doesn't even matter what you say, like whatever you do will make it worse or like is it inadequate or there's just like maybe they don't respond and then it's a big question mark of like, oh, fuck, I don't know what happened here. Yeah. Well, the not responding thing is huge. And this is something that I felt from the beginning too is when you would like we get all these emails saying, hey, 
can you watch this video and give me comments? Can you send me these stems? You know, whatever. And I responded to everybody. And like 10% of people would even respond with a, hey, thanks. At some point, it's just like, well, why am I writing all these people back? Not that you're doing it for the thanks, but you're just like, did you get the thing I did even? It feels like you're shouting into the void. Yeah, exactly. So there's also a disincentive to respond to people, even with positive stuff, because you're like, well, no one fucking writes back anyway, so who even knows? I mean, I understand everything you're saying, Brian. Like, it's a very vulnerable thing to talk about online, too, because not many people, like, talk about their boundaries with their fans and, you know, what they're comfortable with. And a lot of people just assume that they can send you anything on, like, a similar topic. I had to stop talking about paranormal things online because I used to tell, you know, like ghost stories or things on my channel. And I got an influx of mail at the P.O. box of people writing me about their ghost stories. And I'm not just talking like, oh, I got like 10 extra letters this week. I'm talking like I got like 100 letters a week like of people telling me their ghost stories. Oh, my God. A lot of them, though it was very clear that the person who would send the letter was having a very hard time with their home life, you know, in a lot of really bad situations I was reading. And it's so upsetting and it puts you in that place. I had to just stop talking about paranormal stuff altogether because I just didn't want to deal with the mounds of, I don't want to say depressing letters because a lot of them were uplifting and a lot of them were very kind and sweet. But, you know, the ones that know the right buttons to push or that, you know, are so sad, they just stick with you. You get it? Yeah. It kind of comes back around to like a lot of times I think people don't expect you to ever see it. Mm. Right. Like there are a lot of people who do that or, and I mean, this happens so much with like shitty comments too, where it's like, okay, you're just yelling at me. But like, if you call them out, they're like, oh, I didn't think you would see that. Uh, I'm a big fan. Or, Or just like, especially when it's people who are clearly working through some shit, it's like, okay, you clearly needed to say this to a therapist or to your diary. But like for you, you've spit this into the void that is like a person that you look up to without thinking about the like, you know, that that's just kind of like going up to somebody's house and leaving something on their doorstep. And it's like, okay, uh, all right. Yeah. Like there is that interesting element of like, they won't see this. I literally, and maybe this is a generational thing. I, I don't know. You know, obviously I'm older than both of you. Leaving an easy comment on something someone did was never an option for me growing up. So maybe this is part of this, but I do not understand why you would ever, ever, ever leave a negative comment on anything anyone does, period. Like maybe if they're, I don't know, inciting violence or something, like something really horrible, racism. Okay, let's take that off the table. I'm talking about like a pop culture thing, like someone puts out, you know, a movie reaction video or something. Why the fuck would you ever leave a negative comment on that? You're doing no one any favors by that. I, I Even if you didn't like it, why would you do it? I, I, I don't get it, fundamentally. Yeah, I've never done it in my life. No. I can offer you a perspective on that. I grew up in a really tough situation, and I was kind of a bully growing up. Um, You know what they say, like, you know, like bullies are the ones that need love and attention the most because they're acting that way for a reason. And I feel like it's kind of true. And from my perspective, online comments are from people who are extremely unhappy with their own lives because you're right. I'm not in my best life possible right now, but I even in this light, I can't imagine leaving a mean comment. No, no one is right (laughs) now. Yeah. Even in 
my worst light, I can't imagine leaving a mean comment to somebody because I know that they might read that. But I know that in my darkest days, I would have. So that's where I imagine these commenters are coming from. I can't even imagine responding to like someone else's tweet who wasn't like a friend that I knew personally. Like when you tweet something and you get all these replies, I've never, ever done that to someone I don't know. Even that level of interaction is is foreign to me and is not foreign to a lot of people. So that maybe is also a generational thing. Maybe it's a temperament thing. I don't know. I think it's a generational thing because like, you know, I see a lot of people my age have problems talking on the phone. They would much rather text. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even just a generation older, my brothers don't understand that. They think calling is way easier and more efficient. Why would they text when you can call? You know, so I do think that each generation is getting a little bit more <laughs> faster and easier at communicating online for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, like you're saying, Brian, like I get stressed out responding to people I actually know with like a positive thing of like, oh, I love this. <laughs> or like asking yeah. a question, let alone like, some random person I don't follow and have never encountered just being like, just fucking sucks. Or being one of those people who just like chronically hates on a specific person. It's like, I have a lot of spicy opinions. I, I engage in a fair amount of recreational yeah. hatred, but like with friends, cause there's no point like spouting it. It adds nothing to my life other than just like making other people miserable. And I guess for a lot of people, there's a power in that. And like a you know, this puts me automatically above this person who I see as lesser or potentially I'm just jealous of and want to put in a lower place so I can feel better about myself. And it feels like trite to phrase it like that of like, it's always the like, oh, haters, they just want, they're jealous. But like, it, it kind of is that a lot. If you're in a good place in your life, you're not doing that shit. Yeah. Let's use the most prominent example on Twitter right now, our stupid fucking president. <laughs> People who respond to him, they're like, shut up, idiot. It's, uh, like, wh- what is that accomplishing? I fundamentally don't get it. Look, I am very, very far from a Trump supporter, but I could never imagine replying to a Trump tweet with, for any reason. It's just giving more attention. Why would you want to direct attention to that? Yeah, it's like, I'm going to dunk on this so I can feel cool on the internet. Like, it's not productive. And I think it's sort of like this, how do I put this? It's a tendency that especially liberals seem to have, and I say this as a very left person, of like, with Republicans, we can gotcha them. It's like a whole generation raised on the Colbert Report and The Daily Show, where it's like, thinking that the worst thing you can do to a super conservative person is like calling them out on hypocrisy or just like, you know, calling them stupid. And it's like, they don't give a shit. Like this is such a, such a like namby pamby ineffectual thing to do instead of like actual policy or activism or like whatever the fuck, like this is useless other than to people who are already on your side. Yes. And it just directs more attention. If you want to amplify their voice, respond to them in any way, even negatively. It's not like Twitter is like, well, that's a, it's a minus one because you said you suck, idiot. It's like, no, it just, it rewards engagement. And then we'll show that tweet that you disliked to more people. It's very, very stupid to, to do it. I mean, I really feel like there's a psychological reason for it because like, I feel like when you click on a comment and you want to look at the replies to that tweet, uh, you're scrolling through because you're trying to see if people are agreeing with you. And if you see yeah. instead, if you clicked on Donald Trump's tweet and you see everybody saying, oh, Donald, you're the best or whatever, you know, 
you might feel like, oh shit, maybe I'm overpowered here or left, but everybody else mm-hmm. is, you know, leaving their comments because they want to be heard, I feel like. Yeah. So like, I think True. it is the overwhelming majority is displeased and that's why it's showing up so much more common in his comments. But Yeah. Can we all agree on a lighter note that the new threading on the Twitter app is stupid and makes conversations much harder to read? What's the new threading? I don't know. It's bullshit. Every new thing is just like, hey, do you guys want to go fuck yourselves with a rake? Like, that's our new Twitter feature. Would you enjoy that? And it's like, no. I am so over social media. It's I'm I'm scared of social media anymore. It's hard to even use it, you know? Yeah. So the threading, it's like, if there are replies and then replies to replies, they kind of put everything in like its own weird, like an actual on-screen bubble. And it makes it to me very, very difficult to read. Maybe I'll get used to it at some point, but I do not like it right now. Just on threads in the first place, I think that threading is such a like scourge on Twitter. It's like, this is a microblogging platform that's intended for you to do a quick little thing and it's out. Not here's my 30 tweet thread. It's like, just fucking write an article. It's not what the platform was built for. And this is just like a cumbersome, like frustrating thing to read that like, by nature forces you to compress really complex topics into like the pithiest way possible. And like you lose so much subtext and so much meaning. If it's like my friend doing a thread about how they feel like shit, I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, let it out. I I disagree a bit. You're right. The article will be better for long thoughts no matter what. But it is nice. Like I like a good Twitter thread where it's like kind of a little serialized story. I can get with that. I'm not saying that I don't like them. I just think most of the ones that I see when they're bad, which I think they're overwhelmingly bad, there are good ones. I mean, as with anything, there are good tweets, there are bad tweets. I was just going to say that I am still very on social media because I still run every social media account for everything I do. So there's been very little escape for me from it. Well, I'm lucky that one of those accounts is NSP, which just does stupid jokes all the time. Yeah. And sometimes I schedule them ahead of time. Most of the time, I just think of something and then put it out there. Usually, it's the word ass or penis or something. Um, Okay, I was very proud of this. I woke up. This is maybe Saturday morning, maybe Sunday morning. I can't remember. And it occurred to me that Mambo number five and Rambo number five are one letter off from each other. Mm. And I was like, they should have called the fifth Rambo movie. First of all, I didn't realize there was a fifth Rambo movie, but I looked it up. (laughs) I think it was called Last Blood or something stupid. And I tweeted from NSP about how it was a missed opportunity to not call it Rambo number five. And that tweet did very well. So occasionally I have these little, <laughs> you know, stupid joke insights where I'm like, oh, that's the perfect thing for a ninja sex party tweet. And those are fun. This has been Inside the Poster Studio. <laughs> yes. Legitimately, one of my favorite things to do is post a middle of the night tweet and then just see how many responses I get that say, go to bed, why are you up? This woke me up. And I'm just like, turn off your notifications at night. But I really love the random, you know, 3 a.m. pointless tweet from NSP. That, that, that That's one of my very personal joys. You should just tweet out from NSP some night at like 3 a.m. Like, are you awake now? <laughs> <laughs> I actually <laughs> muted on my Twitter the phrase go to bed because I got so tired of seeing it. Yeah, Brian, I was going to text you something at 2 a.m. last night. 
I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do this, but I will send you what I was going to text you with no comment. By the way, you can text me anytime because I turn my ringer off at night. And so it will not wake me up. Me too. Like, I guess you also are a friend of Matt Watson, who I almost exclusively receive texts from at 4 a.m. Yep, 104 a.m. It's either a very odd meme or Mm -hmm. it's like a very sincere question. And those are the two lanes with Matt. Yeah, or it's like, I'm outside your house right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I got one time at 4 a.m. while I was in Germany. I was like, dude, I'm fucking Germany. <laughs> that guy's the best. Are you putting this in our group text? Yeah, it's loading. What is this? Vor Ninja? <laughs> so for some context, I made a new friend over the internet and it's been very nice. And Allie and I and this friend have just been like hanging out on Discord and it's just been like, delightful. It feels like old internet, just like learning about somebody who is just completely outside of your bubble. But um, we're all fucking weird. And so the Discord chat last night, you know, because we were on a voice call. And so, you know, the really only evidence of this shit is what's in the chat. And I'll read you a variety of things that are in there. So we went from Sonic Vor to like feeder fetish content, to sexy Frollo from Hunchback of Notre Dame, and then Esmeralda's Feet, and then Diva Cup forum posts, and then excerpts from this website from the 90s that was the Teens for Satan (laughs) e-group. Is that a real thing? (laughs) Yes, it absolutely is. And then finally, um, a dude um, into a frying pan that was lit and frying Uh, Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Flipping it and taking a bite. (laughs) Oh, God. So around 3 a.m., because I went to sleep at 5 a.m. this morning because I forgot to take my medication and was just delirious all night. I was like, okay, everybody, we are going to play a game now. You're going to open up DeviantArt. I'm going to put one minute on the clock, and I need you to find the wildest Vore fan art you can possibly find. And we all did that, and it was really great. And then out of curiosity, I was like, Brian Wecht 4? <laughs> and then... Here we are. Oh, this is supposed to be me? Yeah, it's you. Oh, wow. The red <laughs> headband threw me off. You can tell by the ninja outfit? Well, there's lots of ninjas out there. But here's what I was going to tell you. So you, you sent me this thing, which is Vor fan art of myself that says Vor Ninja. Twitter at Vor Ninja is not taken. <laughs> Get that shit right now. Right now. I just, I just, oh my God. Uh, do we have like a vorninja.com or like dot? biz for ninja.com this is a terrible idea okay those can't be reached all right that's positive that's good that's for the best should we take this we should take this i think you should i think you should make it right now for ninja gmail.com before this did you check gmail this is exciting okay guys you're listening to this real time if you have the Vore Ninja Gmail account, please let us know. <laughs> we will buy it we will be paying <laughs> top dollar all right for let's see Vore. God damn it. Here, okay, create your Google account. It's available. What? No, it is not. Yeah, it is. <laughs> All right, podcast listeners, you can email me at vorninja at gmail.com. <laughs> I only accept Vor Ninja fan art or emails about <laughs> Vor Ninja. If you email me anything else, I will delete it immediately. Brian, you are inviting the vampire into your house right now, dude. You are an absolute mad lad. I don't care. If you think I'm going to check this email more than once, you are sorely mistaken. So this is an open call to everybody on the internet. 
to email vorninja at gmail.com. I, Brian Wecht, the original Vor Ninja, by the way, will check that email and I will look for only things about Vor Ninja. Anything else, I don't care what it is, will be deleted without me even looking at it. All right. So I want fan art, short stories, whatever. It's got to have Vor Ninja in it. Maybe I'm not being clear about this. If the thing you email me is not about the concept of a Vor Ninja, it will be deleted. Vor Ninja at gmail.com at Vor Ninja on Twitter. That was beautiful. Like, I mean, I almost felt like you were reading off a teleprompter or something. You just came up with that out of thin air? I did. Yes, I'm a professional. This is what he was born to do. He's the Vor Ninja. The name of this episode is the original Vor Ninja, right? The original Vor Ninja. Oh. By the way, we may be at a new record for not introducing ourselves. Yeah, we really just didn't bother. We already know each other, right? <laughs> Everyone listening to this is going to know you anyway, Susie. But let's just do it real quick. Layton, this is Layton. Hi, that's me. The other one, the original Vor Ninja. That's Brian Weck. Original Vor Ninja. What's up? Mystery guest. We know your name is Susie Burhau Mortimer. You are our lovely friend who we love so very much. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me, friends. For some reason, I had a line of dialogue in my head all weekend, which is a very, very posh British person saying, let me see if I can get this right. Uh, my sexual proclivities are unusual, but I think you'll agree. Everyone leaves satisfied. just some british man astral projecting into your head <laughs> how did that get there i don't know vor okay this is what i was going to ask is that a real actual thing or did the internet just turn it into a thing once some you know jerk off heard about it are you asking if people eat other people so they're big in their belly and move around <laughs> i'm not not asking that oh no no they don't do that but but I think that the fetish is real. Like, I do think that there's people that like that. Brian, yes, yes. That's what I'm asking. Don Bluth was hard for Vore. It's a real sexual thing. Yeah, it, it is. You know, I feel like I'm blown away every year by a new fetish that I didn't know about. Mm -hmm. Have you ever gotten on your videos, Brian or Leighton, somebody asking if you guys like sneezed in that video? Because that was the strangest thing I think that happened to me. This has never happened to me, as far as I've seen. Somebody was leaving like comments on like my videos for a while, just being like, hey, did Susie sneeze in this video or on every video? And I was like, that's weird, but whatever. Finally, one day I was like, I should Google what that means. I don't understand that. Turns out it's like a fetish thing. Like I couldn't quite understand it, but apparently the sound you make when you're orgasming is very similar to the sound you make when you're sneezing <laughs> or like just like the feeling that you have, I guess, for momentarily. Uh -huh. So people like to clip that and they were uploading me sneezing onto sneeze porn sites without telling me. What? Okay, first of all, you just said sneeze porn sites, so we should all, <laughs> I don't know, treat ourselves to a, a fine hot chocolate. But, oh my God, that's upsetting. Yeah, Ali was telling me, like, literally last night, just that, like, people would be like, can you sneeze again but moan after it? Mm -mm. What? Mm -mm. <laughs> yeah, there's like people who get cameos like that. You pay to like get a cameo from somebody and they'll be like, can you sneeze in the cameo? It's like, no. Okay, I also want to put out there, by the way, I am willing to sneeze in any cameo that anyone books <laughs> me for. I will 100% moan after it. No question to ask. I don't care why. I will sneeze and then moan in any way you want. Find me on cameo, book them sneezies. Hell yeah. You, you know, get your bag. There's no shame, man.
If I'm getting paid, I'll sneeze for you. Yeah, anyway. I am king shaming if you're going to unsolicited, non consensually pull somebody else into your weird thing. Like, that's not okay. Yes. Yeah, that, that was a sucky way to find out what that was about. <laughs> yes, totally. One of the first conversations I ever had with Dan was we were in the office crunching on Dream Daddy. And as we know, there were many dildos in the Game Grumps office that I think were mercifully trashed in the move. Um, and there was like a bad dragon one that was hanging on the whiteboard for a really long time. And I think Dan just came out and was like, what is this? And I was like, oh, is that an ovipositor? And he was like, what is an ovipositor? And oh, well, literally one of our first interactions is me being like, oh, hi, Dan. Um, an ovipositor is a special dildo that you put eggs in so you can insert the eggs inside your person. And there's multiple types of eggs that you can insert inside of your person. There's rubber ones that are like little balls. And then there's gelatin ones. So you can crush them up. Oh, no. (laughs) I mean, I can't believe he pretended he didn't know what that was. That's the part that really (laughs) shocked me. What? Crush them up? Yeah, so you get the mold to make little gelatin eggs, and then you slurp them all into your orifices, and then you you do some kegels or whatever, whatever the angle equivalent of kegels. You know, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, knock yourself out. <laughs> I agree, yes. Oh, oh, wait, Teens for Satan e-group. Yes, tell us about the Teens for Satan e-group. So I just have a folder on my browser that's just weird slash creepy websites that I just save shit in. And it's like, I've been maintaining this for years. That is very on brand. Yeah, of course. And so when I'm on Discord calls or whatever, and I want to find some cool shit to share, like I just run in there and click at random. Anyway, Teens for Satan e-group. I found, you know, I, I was going to try to get into and join the Teens for Satan e-group, but it was a locked Yahoo account. And I'm also not a teen. Anyway, so the group description was Teens for Satan This group is for 13 to 19-year-olds who wish to establish a relationship with Satan. The group is moderated so Christians cannot infest and or try to push their lies. High priests and high priestesses of Satan are online to answer questions and post sermons of interest to teens. Topics of discussion include demons, magic, satanic witchcraft, and much more. For more information, please visit www.joyofsatan.com. Rule number one. We know Satan and his demons are real beings. If you are Levian or feel otherwise, do not push your beliefs here. Wow. Okay. Wow. So they're really drawing a line in the sand against fake Satanists. Yes. Number two, people who sympathize with and or support the enemies of Satan, and then they list a bunch of other religions, will be banned. Number three, blasphemy against Satan and or his demons will not be tolerated. Four, if you believe Satan and his demons are evil, this is not the group for you. Find another. Six, do not try to promote individuals, groups, or organizations who bash the joy of Satan. Your post will be deleted and you will be banned. And then, like, the real bummer one is, seven, anyone who posts advocating anything illegal will be banned. What? Exactly, right? That's disappointing. Do you know the band Future of the Left? No. They're a great band. They're basically like a Welsh kind of modern punk band. They have an album called Travels With Myself and Another, which features a track called You Need Satan More Than He Needs You, which is really fantastic. It's about a couple uh, very middle-class parent Satanists who, you know, they're going to a satanic orgy, but the babysitter cancels and and that sort of thing. I love that. (laughs) This album, Travels With Myself and Another, is easily top five albums all time for me. 
it's, it's very unlike a lot of other music I listen to, but it is fucking great. I, I love it. I love that the entire end of this song is just, but does it fuck like a man? Yes. <laughs> it walks like a man, but does it fuck like a man? A significant overlap with the band McCluskey, who I forget exactly what the lineup was, if it's all the same people or if it's mostly the same people or whatever. But McCluskey's also great, but I like Future of the Left more. Is it like Oingo Boingo-ish? No, it's much, much harder and punkier. Although they do have interesting time signatures. It's like weird, lefty, intellectual, ironic, hardcore. Hmm. Sounds awesome. I'm so down. It is awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think we're about to say the same thing. Oh, we were about to say the same thing. Yay. Jinx, shut up for the rest of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's do segments. I think that would be great. Excellent. Would you care to introduce your favorite fucking segment, Brian? Oh, Layton. Yes, I would. Susie, this is a real joy. I'm already worried. It's something that you enjoy. (laughs) 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 It's always the clue. So this is a segment which is our pop culture recommendation segment. This is the, the segment where we discuss things that we're watching or playing or listening to or whatever, just anything in pop culture that's kind of floating our boats these days. The interesting thing about this segment, though, is not that. It is the theme song for the segment, which is, so you know I'm a musician. Uh, I've been a musician for many years, and I decided to write the best theme song I could for this segment. I really want it was our, I believe, our not our first, but our second segment. Is that right? Layton, Peaches, and Lemons came first. Yeah. I mean, the anticipation is really building here. Well, as, as well, it should, because this theme song is great. I mean, it is great. Am I going to be able to hear it or is it going to be added in post? God damn it. So, wow. Okay, Susie, you are the first person to ever anticipate this bit and negate it. And congratulations for you have bested me. And there no. is no, 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 like you, you win. This wasn't a competition until right now. And you won. That was the 40 chess. Move. I mean, to be fair, I did just listen to your guys's last podcast where Leighton was like, oh, wow. I think this is the first time we're listening to the intro song. Like, while we're talking. But you know what? You did your research, which enabled you to win. That's not cheating. That's just learning how to play the game. <laughs> That's preparedness. So, I mean, yeah, and, and I mean, we all know what an amazing musician you are, Brian, and especially with Go Banana Go and its success. And wow, like, oh my gosh, you. I can't wait to catch up with you about how well that's been doing. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, well, see, now, like, now you make me feel even worse because not only did you kill my bit, you're complimenting me. So it's like that. <laughs> wow, I just have no response. Like, it's you're being, <laughs> you beat me at my own game, and now you're rubbing it in my face by being extra nice and it's real it's oh you're you're evil well i mean i I can finish and go into my uh pop culture recommendation what i've been listening to lately sure let's play the theme song (laughs) to what's popping right now what's popping all right go ahead if you actually played it just then it would have been really funny i was hoping it was gonna play right there now, I, I'm just out of commission now. I don't even know what to do anymore. No, it's going to like interrupt me. I know it. Now I'm terrified. 
Susie, what's popping? <laughs> I'm so tempted to do it as soon as you start talking. I'm so tempted to do it. I know. I, I'm tempted to not even start talking about it because I feel like I'm going to be interrupted. The psychological warfare is so strong with you, Brian. <laughs> I promise you I won't play it when you start talking. I promise. Okay. So I've been petitioning. Uh, <laughs> what's popping? What's popping? This is the only time this bit has ever worked. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of um, the IT crowd game boards opening segment they did. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh my God. Game board. <laughs> yeah. That's a great intro. I love that I can hear both of you clearly in the intro. Love that. Thank you. Beautiful. Susie, what have you been listening to lately? Um, so I've been like petitioning. <laughs> it's going to start again, isn't it? I promise um, you I won't play it again. Do it. Do it, Susie. Just say it back. <laughs> Uh, so MTV, I've been petitioning MTV uh, to get the Unplugged series like out on on CD for a while now. And not that I'm the person solely responsible for this, but they recently put some of the Unplugged MTV albums on iTunes finally. Oh, wow. And uh, I got the, uh, you know, like Nirvana Unplugged, Corn uh, Unplugged. Well, classic um, Nirvana, and yeah. Pearl Jam is coming soon to iTunes. But yeah, I highly recommend all of those to anybody, especially the corn one, because I really love how they took their music to a worldly sound. I feel like it's like so underrated. It kind of gets like swept away by the Nirvana unplugged, but check them out. They're really good. Of course, you have that really great like In the Pines cover with Nirvana. Like I fucking love that performance. Uh, Aaron and I were talking about it yesterday in the car because it came on and he was like, did you know that people were upset about the Nirvana unplugged? And I was like, what? Why? Like, how could they? Like, this is the most legendary and, and I remember that he said it was because they didn't play their hits. They they played kind of mm-hmm. what they wanted to play. Like people wanted yeah. to hear, you know, like it smells like Teen Spirit, you know, or whatever. People are babies. But that's not what this is about. This is the artist's moment to shine. This is their recognition, their moment. I have talked for years, for years, with Dan about doing an NSP acoustic album called Ninja Sex Party, Unbutt Plugged, and. <laughs> He has never agreed to do it. He he doesn't want to do it. You know, it might be the title. It might be the title, but because like I know that like the minute you said that, there were like thousands and thousands of girls out there screaming, wanting this, and would love this. But you know, maybe maybe the title is the thing that Dan didn't like. It might be, but it is literally the only thing that is non-negotiable to me for the album. <laughs> so if we don't do it, an acoustic album called Unbutt Plugged, I refuse to do an acoustic album. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I get that. I get that. <laughs> yeah, I got to have my standards. You got to stick to your artistic rights. That's right. Layden, what's popping? What's popping for me is lately I've been extremely enjoying uh, David. <laughs> what's popping? <laughs> what's popping? <laughs> Guys, it's been really great talking to you today. I got to go like, right now. <laughs> I'm like scared at any moment it could happen again. I had some clothes in the washer that I got to go. <laughs> What's popping for me is David Lynch's YouTube channel, which is delightful because every day he does the weather report. He does the pick a number thing where you get the number of the day. But also he does what is David working on today. And Allie has also been binging on these. And she reminded me of the one where he has holes in his pants and he chooses to fix the holes in his pants 
by using a combination of a paper towel, wood glue, and then paint that he has mixed that does not match the color of the pants. Wow. And he's like, yeah. these are good as new. Um, it's a beautiful thing to witness this. God knows how old he is. Just auteur sit and just slather wood glue onto his thighs. I kind of wonder, like, what set him up to do this, you know? Because I watch it, too, and I love the channel, but I'm also like, there's got to be more here. It's David Lynch. Like, there's a message in here, right? <laughs> I think it's so perfectly ambiguous in the way that his work is because it operates on that surreal, dreamy level perfectly because it is so open to interpretation. And I think a lot of the times he doesn't even know, which is what I love about it. Yeah. But, you know, the day that he pulled the seven and that one guy for who forever was like, I, I'm, I'm waiting for the seven. I'm waiting for the seven. We've never gotten a seven. And then just like the sheer joy on David Lynch's face when he looks at the ball and it says seven. Um, it was a really beautiful thing. That's been like a really excellent quarantine. Just a steady thing in my life. I love his like weather reports in the mornings. I, I tune in for those ones for sure. And he's just like, it's another sunny day. Don't worry. He's going to rock. He's going to fall off and he's going to die. <laughs> anyway, blue skies, bright sunshine. It's like, wow, what was that about? <laughs> it's a great time to be alive if you love the theater of the absurd. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fun. Yeah. yeah he's I, a treasure. He seems so kind and personable in those videos. I, I hope he's just as nice in real life, you know? Yeah, I would hope so. Brian, what's popping? What's popping for me is the, the 1980 George Benson album. <laughs> What's poppin'? Did you get yourself or was that late? <laughs> I don't know what's funny. I don't have soundboard privileges. That, that was I was me. literally frantically looking through my Google Drive so I could start playing it on my end. I just thought it would be a stupid bit to do. <laughs> so what's poppin' for me is the 1980 uh, smooth jazz album, Give Me the Night by George Benson. So this guy is a, a jazz guitarist and basically went more towards pop in the late 70s, uh, early 80s, as a lot of jazz types did. Uh, and you've probably heard Give Me the Night. And there's music in the air and I don't remember the, 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 the Give Me the Night. It's like this smooth yeah. jazz classic, right? It's really, really great. Because as I mentioned several times on, on this podcast, I don't know if you've heard me say it, Susie, I'm, I'm working on a smooth jazz album that Meowch, Commander Meowch, is producing. Hell Yes. And so I've been listening to, for the past like year, trying to find these like kind of style guide tracks where I'm like, that's what I want this album to sound like. And late 70s, early 80s, George Benson is right up there. Wow. And so this whole album was produced by Quincy Jones, who's amazing. But Give Me the Night and several other tracks on the album were written by Rod Temperton, who you might not know the name, but you know his music because he wrote Thriller, he wrote Off the Wall, he wrote a bunch of other... I think he wrote Rock With You, maybe. A uh, bunch of other classic Michael Jackson songs. He's an all-timer songwriter. All these smooth jazz albums, like everyone who plays on it is just a complete shredder. It's got Lee Rittenauer on guitar, Herbie Hancock, George Duke. It, it's just the best. So listen to Give Me the Night, the single and the album, George Benson, 1980. Fabulous. Shall we segue into Peaches and Lemons or just Peaches? Absolutely. Okay. Oh, yeah. I didn't prepare any lemons. No, we, we don't do them anymore. I would like to return to them eventually, but with the emphasis on it's the pettiest thing possible, like no serious lemons, just like a thing that yes. is a petty gripe. How about this? 
if Biden wins, we can do lemons again. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's a late night promise. Okay, great. Oh, God, I hope we do lemons. Oh, before we leave, what's popping? Just want to say it was the 20th anniversary of Linkin Park's album, Hybrid Theory. And it's always oh. a good time to listen to that album. Wow. I have never heard that album. That, that's a genre of music I really don't know much about. That was the first concert I went to. Um, really? Yeah, cool. I'm so connected with Linkin Park and like that alternative music scene. Before I even like understood what the lyrics were about or anything, I was so into that scene and it's amazing i've stuck with the same musicians pretty much my entire life now what age were you when you saw that concert i had to have been like 10 or 11 it was the family values tour in florida they came with like stone temple pilots and static x and like so many amazing bands um they don't do tours like that anymore i feel you know like i almost feel like top of the music score has gone a different direction yeah like, you don't see, like, huge pushes for musicians like Michael Jackson or Britney Spears anymore. I hope Britney Spears is okay. It seems like there's a lot going on over there. I do, too. I, I worry about her. So, I got in trouble, if you heard last week, Susie. I said, poor troubled Andy Dick. And Leighton quickly corrected me that he has done very many bad things. But I feel like I can say, poor troubled Britney Spears. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. She deserves happiness and love and to hang out with her cool sons. If you like have the time to like look into what's happening to Britney Spears, no one really knows for sure until she comes out and says herself. But it seems like she's kind of a victim of her own fortune. And, you know, Mm -hmm. she just can't, no one can help her. And it's really sad. I mean, a, a machine that chews up and sexualizes young women and then spits them out and then demonizes them for having like valid and understandable trauma from that experience, you know? I mean, I remember like websites, like counting down the like seconds until she turned 18 when she was legal. Yes. It was so disgusting. So awful. Like, and being a young girl though, growing up and seeing that it also like made me feel like that's what women equated to. Like, of course. Yeah, totally. It's terrible that it happened on a cultural level like that. Yeah. Like where's Chris Rucker leave Britney alone when we need him? Yeah, right? <laughs> I wonder what Chris Crocker is doing. Anyway. Hopefully living their best life. I know, hope so, yeah. It's a tough year. Hopefully they're still in the Britney movement. I, I wonder if they are. Are you wow. Googling this lady? Yeah. It's on Instagram. One million followers. Oh, wow. Sober, dog dad, Sagittarius with a moon in cancer. Yay. Oh, hell yes. Oh, fucking awesome, dude. This is great. This is I'm following him. This is awesome. He looks like he's doing great. <laughs> Well, I have some peaches here if you guys want me to go over them. Please do. My peach number one is I'm so thankful right now to have my husband, Aaron. As you guys know, everyone's been locked down with somebody. I feel like this is like a real time to like test relationships and you're either thriving or you're not. And this has just made us even closer and he's my best friend and I'm so happy to have him in my life. My second peach is definitely my store, Psychic Circle, because like I left Game Grumps in January to work on my store full time. And then, of course, the quarantine happened and I was like, oh, shit. Well, I think my store is going to go under now because, you know, no one would have money for this kind of stuff or whatever. Yeah. But thankfully, my store is staying afloat. Uh, and you know, I'm very thankful for that. Thankfully I can keep doing what I love. Peach number three. I'm so heckin' glad it's October. You guys, it's the best time of year. (laughs) 
got some apple cider. I got some cooler weather coming later this week. You know, I got all those horror movies. Tomorrow is it Wednesday that the weather? I, I was I've been looking forward to this all week. It looks no, not quite. It's like Thursday that's really going to kick. As it goes down the week uh, till this weekend, it's getting cooler each day until it's going to be like a high of 70, a low of like 50, I think, here in L.A., Oof. which is a big deal for us. <laughs> oh, Oof. and on Thursday, this Thursday, we are going through a drive through like Halloween-themed tasting menu <sighs> thing. What? So it's called The Bite L.A. I want to do this. <laughs> Rachel reads all these like mom sites. And they have Halloween things. And I read, you know, whatever, like hidden Los Angeles or whatever. Uh, and I saw this thing, which is like, you know, you drive through and they give you food from various restaurants around LA. And it's not like highbrow stuff, but it seemed fun. So last year, we did our European tour at this time last year, which means I missed last year's Halloween, by the way, when Audrey was five. And I will regret that forever, but whatever. A friend of Rachel's was coming to stay with us while I was away. So she'd have some company and, you know, just not be alone for a month and have some support on the kid front. So I got her and her friend tickets to like a haunted house cocktail thing for Halloween. It was like a birthday present. Rachel's birthday is this week. Uh, so she's an October birthday. Oh, really? Wait, what day is her birthday? So I can put it in my calendar and wish her happy birthday. It is Wednesday, the 21st. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So a 13th anniversary is tomorrow. Oh, <gasps> happy anniversary. Thanks. Uh, and then her birthday is the next day. We got married the day before her birthday. That's lovely. It's our uh, seventh anniversary this weekend, too. That's amazing. Wow, wow. Seven years. That's so great. So anyway, I got Rachel and her friend Amy tickets to this like cocktail haunted house thing. And it just seemed like basically like theme bar kind of stuff. Because Rachel does not go in for like scary haunted houses. You know, we got a babysitter for that night. It was like near downtown. So it's like not close to where we live. It's like a 45 minute car ride. They Ubered there, all that stuff. And then they get there and it turns out it was like a scary haunted house with drinking (laughs) in a non-air conditioned (laughs) rental house. And it sounded like, so you're holding drinks and walking around and people are like reaching out and jumping out at you. It sounded like a terrible idea. And it was definitely not Rachel's cup of tea. So I'm like backstage in like fucking Denmark or whatever, getting ready to go on. And I get this huge text thread from Rachel. She's like, I don't know about this. Okay, we're inside. There's no air conditioning. Oh my God, it's too scary. Someone just touched me. And she's like live texting her experience in this haunted house. Eventually just said, you know, I'm going to the basement and I'm going to have my drinks and then we're going to go home because I can't handle this. Uh, I felt really bad. But God, these are the people that are putting on this event, which they said also was not scary this year. But I'm a little worried we're going to take Audrey to this drive through tasting menu and it might be too scary. So oh, no. we'll see how it goes. That's character building. It's character building, although she gets very easily scared. The kid never goes to sleep. So a couple of weeks ago, we put her to bed. One minute later, mommy, what is it, honey? I'm scared. What are you scared of? Haunted bread. <laughs> what? Haunted bread. What if the bread's haunted? The bread's not haunted, honey. What if it is? It's not haunted, honey. Go to sleep. Okay. <laughs> 
Twenty minutes later, <laughs> mommy, I keep thinking about haunted bread, and it was like, <laughs> oh my god, uh, that's every night. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, what if it was haunted? You know, Layton, that's a great question. It's an important philosophical. I like where her mind goes at night. Honestly, like, I wonder what what brought that on. <laughs> Probably something she saw in like some cartoon or something, but it's also. And I, I'm, I really want to put a camera in a room sometime. As far as I can tell, she basically has a dance party until she collapses from exhaustion every night. Like we, Aww. we've gone into a room at night and she's like standing on her bed doing karate moves. And <laughs> we're like, honey, lay down, lay down and go to sleep. And we've told her like, I don't care. She can talk all she wants. Just don't do it loud. But she told us last week that she quote does scenes while she's laying in bed. So she's like, reenacting Mario stuff or whatever. Very, very excited about Peach, Rosalina, and Daisy. So she's always one of those princesses. Aww. And uh, yeah, she does little like little kid scenes while she's falling asleep. And as far as I can tell, keeps talking slash singing slash dancing until she just collapses and then she's out. And it's like blah, 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 blah. <laughs> every night. It's That's fabulous. Kids' brains are amazing. Yeah. Gosh, she's so artistic already. She's look at her. Yeah. Already getting her monologues down. <laughs> <laughs> she drew this picture of a very large monster. And the monster was labeled up to 15. And much smaller than the monster was a little like person. And the monster had four eyes. The biggest eye looked like a mouth. It was like in the middle of its face. And it was as big as its head. But it was actually an eye. And then had a real tiny mouth and a bunch of arms and stuff. She did this on like paper you'd put on an easel. So like rolling paper that comes out of a roll. And so it was real big. It was probably like three feet, four feet tall on that kind of paper. And down at the bottom of the picture, there was a humanoid figure. And she wrote in little kid, you know, letters, guy on stilts for the guy <laughs> at the bottom. to judge them. And the monster was like seven times as big as the guy. And yeah. She, she was regretting the scale. She was like, oh, no, yes. I should put him on stilts so you feel, feel like the monster's even bigger yet. hundred <laughs> percent. And then she asked us, she said, do you think this is a boy monster or a girl monster? And I said, I don't, I don't know, honey. And she goes, it's a girl. Do you know how you can tell? Let me ask you, Susie, how can you tell it's a girl monster? Oh, man. Well, for a little girl, she's probably thinking eyelashes or like a bow, right? The answer is it only has one head. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense, too. I, did, I don't know why I left that one off. I was like, okay, so she understands sexual dimorphism. The boys look different than the girls. And I was like, well, what do the boys look like? And she's like, well, they have four heads and six eyes and nine mouths and five arms or whatever. I can't even remember. But that was a big thing. <laughs> Is that this is obviously a girl monster. Oh, it also was wearing a dress too. So that's that's the other thing she said. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. The right. mind of a child. She's really into making monsters. I wonder if she'll be like a classic movie monster maker someday. I could see that. She was into that game too. And thank you for encouraging that because I definitely, I would draw monsters as a kid and my mom would be like, we're taking you to a therapist. What is this? <laughs> oh no, we love it. Monsters, aliens, whatever. Yeah. I think it's the best. The best part about it too, is they always come with some elaborate backstory because she totally does what I understand is a stereotypical, like little girl thing where everything she does comes with a very complicated social hierarchy that exists only in her brain. <laughs> and yeah. 
all of her pretend play involves a million characters and they all know where they stand with respect to each other. And there's like shifting power dynamics constantly. And <laughs> from what I have read, that's pretty typical of like, not to stereotype unduly here, but uh, of especially little girl play. That's fascinating. Brian, I wanted to ask you as like a parent with a kid uh, who trick-or-treats regularly, have you pulled yet the, oh, these candies look poison. I should take these for myself card yet. Uh, well, not poison because we don't want her to feel like people are poisoning her. Uh, <laughs> but I will just say, I'm taking your candies and there's nothing you can do about it. And <laughs> that I feel like is a more accurate representation of the way the world and the power structure in our house works. Okay. Fair and just. Yeah. It's like, I brought you to trick or treat. I'm taking some of your candy. Like, I'm not taking most of it. I'm not even taking a lot of it. But I'm going to pick the ones that I like. It, it's a conversation. I don't just take them and then say, you know, there's no discussion. If you really wanted that, she can tell me, and then I'll usually give it to her. But the fact that I am taking some of that candy and she is powerless to prevent me is a fact. And I'm going <laughs> to take some of her Halloween. And honey, that's how taxes work. Yeah. <laughs> Fill out a W-2 oh, for this candy. Yeah, I, I brought you there. I get some of your candy. You can't stop me because this is what it means to live in this house. All right, tight. Layton, mind you, I just talked forever. So why don't you? Yeah, sure. My first peach is, I haven't had a lot of time to do it, but on the weekends or if I just have a little down moment, I've been doing more like resin craft stuff. And it's really fun because it's so hard to get right. And I'm still such like a noob at it that so much shit happens on accident and each time it's a learning experience where I'm like, oh, okay, so I won't do this first, this UV lamp, I got to keep it going for like a really long time or they come out tacky. But like the beauty of that is you also get the happy little accidents. Like today I made this little skeleton hand that first of mm. all, I was like, oh, I'm going to make like a pale pink with this dye. So I'm going to do like one drop of pink and like a bunch of drops of white. And I put it in there. I put some glitter in there, put it under the UV lamp. I learned today that if you put like a couple of drops of white and the thing looks pink when it's wet, when you UV it, the entire thing turns white. Like for some reason, wow. it cures the white really hard. But it turned out awesome because all the glitter sinks to the bottom. So it's a white skeleton hand that like all the highlights are like silver glitter. Mm. Oh, that sounds rad. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Not what I meant to do. Uh, I made a very shitty little D20 that is unusable because I fucked up one of the sides. But you know, it, it's, it's, it feels so good to make it. So it's a D19. <laughs> God damn it. It's so fun to make a tangible object, especially when you can put glitter on that tangible object. Anyway, that's my first peach. My second peach is, as I mentioned, uh, made a friend over the internet, which I guess doesn't happen a lot, but just been like chatting on Discord with this friend and Allie. And it, it feels very like how I used to feel when I was on Tumblr, like making internet friends where it's like you, they're in a different time zone and you're all staying up late and getting really delirious and just like making each other laugh. And it's just been like, a really nice bright spot to learn about another person and get to know them. Like, it's just great. My third peach is got to have a, a nice hot McDonald's fry last night, a large McDonald's fry. And like, I've been thinking about last meals a lot. I was reading the Wikipedia page for like a list of people who were executed last meals, which first of all, fascinating. Actually, I'm going to read you one because I saved it. Anyway, but I'm like, you know what? Mine has a large fry in there somewhere. Also, there should be a segment on the show where we ask people what their last meal would be. Oh, I like that, yeah. Anyway, so this guy, Lawrence Russell Brewer, is a murderer in Texas. 
executed by lethal injection. Here's what he requested. Two chicken fried steaks smothered in gravy with sliced onions, a triple meat bacon cheeseburger with fixings on the side, a cheese omelet with ground beef, tomatoes, onions, bell peppers, and jalapenos, a large bowl of fried okra with ketchup, one pound of barbecue with half a loaf of white bread, three fajitas with fixings, a meat lover's pizza, three root beers, one pint of bluebell vanilla ice cream, and a slab of peanut butter fudge with crushed peanuts. Brewer's (laughs) request was granted, but he refused the last meal when it arrived, saying that he was simply not hungry, prompting Texas to stop granting last meal requests to condemned inmates. Oh my God. For everyone? Wow. Yeah. You get a standard prison meal, whatever it was that day. But I love that this dude was like, fuck it. I don't want a last meal. I'm just going to like troll these guys. Oh, I didn't hear that they stopped doing it altogether. Wow. Yeah. But it's a really fascinating list just going through. Like some people go really crazy. Some people are like, I just want a single olive or like a whiskey and a cigar. One person requested to like, it was some meal and then I want to watch all three of the Lord of the Rings movies. Like very, very interesting and grim because it also has what the mode of death was and all that shit. I think it totally makes sense that he would not be hungry when that would come. Yeah, yeah. it's like, well, I'm going to get killed by the state, but uh, you want something to eat? <laughs> like, It feels like it's like one of those situations where they were just like, oh, they'll never make everything that I want. So they'll never go through with it. And then they showed up with all of it and they're like, we're actually doing it, dude. It's scary. Wow. It's such a strange tradition. But yeah, we don't need to get into capital punishment chat, I guess. This isn't capital punishment cast. Anyway, those are my three peaches. Succulent, juicy, delicious peaches. I think that we should celebrate making any friends outside of school because like that is a feat. (laughs) So congratulations on making a new friend. Thank you. It was very exciting. We met him in a very, very strange way that I'm not going to tell you, but it makes it (laughs) all like so much cooler. Like this is what happens. You know, I'm also not going to say how I met these people, but I met some people through some very strange avenues, like some real morbid shit. And like, I still talk to them. They're fucking awesome. Like it was where I was like, I'm going to interview you for this thing so I can do some research. And then I ended up talking to one of the girls for like five hours. Just like, I love that of like just finding people in strange little corners who are really passionate about a thing and then just getting to know them. And the slow reveal of information is always just like such a wonderful thing to experience of like this person knows zero about you, you know, zero about them other than like this one thing. Yeah. It's just like a true delight. That's awesome. Brian. Yes. We had a parenting milestone today. This is my first speech (gasps) where Audrey screamed, you can't control who I am at Rachel. (gasps) And uh, like six and a half, they have a lot of thoughts and opinions and they're sometimes like little teenagers. So for especially a kid who lives in the drama, it was a a big moment that then she could play up. You know, there's that thing where it's like your kid hits you in the face and you're like, stop hitting me in the face. And then they go, (laughs) you're making me feel bad because you're mean to me. You're like, no, no, that's not, you don't get that. You hit me in the face. So there's a lot of that kind of like. You're gaslighting me. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, absolutely. They do it all the time. She's feeling her boundaries. Yeah. Constantly. Oh, the boundaries that we, there's a lot of just like poking the bear. Poke, 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 poke. I had no idea that came at six. That's so early. It's earlier than six. Oh God. (laughs) It's been as her, you know, thoughts and vocabulary get more complex. It's definitely increased. But yeah, they're just that like, I didn't ask to be born, man, you know, kind of energy that is really coming out right now. 
My second peach is it is I, I was listening to a lot of George Benson, as I said, and I was looking at old George Benson album covers, and I discovered the cover to the album Benson Burner, which I'm going to <laughs> drop in the chat here or on, on the text thread, and it may be the best thing I've ever seen. And there it is. Oh, I like that. The coloring is cool. It reminds me of this like biggest jump scare in Silent Hill where you like <laughs> open a door and I forget her name, but there was a girl's head in there just staring at you and it's very terrifying. Kind of gives me that vibe. That shit's awesome. 70s, 80s, uh, like jazz funk covers are the best. So th this is a giant head of George Benson in a very small room with sky wallpaper, like sky and clouds and a flaming guitar that's plugged into an outlet, a very large outlet that's as large as a nearby stool. The coloring's great. It's, it's George Benson's big old face with a flaming guitar because he's a guitarist. I really love it. It just it made me happy all day. My final peach is that Leighton and I, for a little live stream talk show called Bright Spot, did some TikTok dances. And we brought all of our dance skills to the table. Mm -hmm. And... To say I learned the, the, would you say WAP or WAP? WAP. 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 I learned the WAP dance or parts of it. And it was primarily me humping the ground and then kneeling while I shook my ass. Uh, and, and then took a recording of WAP. And every time, instead of them saying wet ass pussy, I, I put myself saying NPR over it right because the way this was pitched to us they were like hey we want to do a segment in this where it's like what if npr got into tiktok and you two are the most like npr people that we know like you could do the voices and we're like yeah I'm sure yeah sure it was fun so bright spot was really cool when I, i'm very proud of our friends who like just slaved over putting that show together like i was really yeah. happy to see it go off without a hitch oh it looked amazing it was great and rachel was the audience member yeah, that was so amazing. She did great. She's the best. She's so funny. So fucking funny. And Anthony Carboni tore it up. All of them. I, I only could watch a little bit. It was amazing. I think they said they were leaving it up for a week afterwards for people to watch. If you're listening to this now, it may or may not still be up. Great. Mm. But if you want to see me shake my ass, remember, vorninja at gmail.com <laughs> is not the place to go because that is not about Vor Ninja. So do not email me at vorninja at gmail.com about my WAP dance because I will be deleting all emails that are not about Vorninja. Beautiful. Well, also at the Bright Spot show, we uh, we aired a ad for our show we have coming up for Halloween night. Yes. Uh, if you want to talk about that. Perfect segue. We have a special Halloween spectacular that's coming out on Halloween night that we would love it if everybody could come and watch. Um, it's being put on by Real Good Touring, and I am going to be hosting it. Leighton is going to be doing a lovely talk, and we're going to be having a ton of wonderful guests. You can see all who we're having at thewitchinghourlive.com. And tickets are going to be $12, and we're going to be giving a proceed of all of the money we raise to the charity The Ochre Project which we're really excited about. It's a great charity. Also part of the proceeds of the merch, which there are three pieces of merch. There's a really cool hoodie. And then there are two shirts, all of which I designed and that are IMO, super fucking cool. And you can get a bundle with the tickets. They are. But yeah, and also if you're not able to watch the show live when it's streaming, the VOD will be available if you buy tickets. So like, you know, you don't have to be there on the night 
but yeah, it's it's so, so cool. And I'm so excited about it, like very genuinely. And if you guys listen to Deep Cuts and you liked Deep Cuts, that's essentially what my segment is, but with a little bit of like CRT VJing in there. So it, it should be pretty cool. Is it all women? Yes. It is, yes. Nice. You know, we're not like advertising it like strictly that way because we don't want to box ourselves in if this does become an annual thing, which is, you know, honestly a, a dream. But for right now, like... We're really excited. We have a great group of girls and we have a wide variety of things happening in the show. I think people are going to like. Yeah. It's awesome. I can't wait. I can't talk it off enough. And Susie, you're hosting. Incredible. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I will be doing my best hosting abilities and I've been working on a script for the first time and that's tough. And thankfully I have Leighton though to help me out with that. You're tearing it up. It's incredible. Susie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've been like stoked about this all week. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. I mean, I've been a fan, a longtime listener, first time caller. So thank you Aww. for having me. <laughs> yeah, we'd love to have you back on sometime. Anytime. Anytime. Yeah. And where can people find you online? Oh, I am at Mortimer on Twitter. I think there's a three in there somewhere. You'll know I'm the verified Mortimer. I think I'm the only verified Mortimer. And then on Instagram, I'm under Mortimer as well. And my store is the Psychic Circle Oddities. Beautiful. Great. Um, hey, everybody. Uh, one last thing. Please vote. Please vote for Biden. Yes, please. I think it's still not too late for some states still to register to vote at this point. Yeah. California is now too late once this comes out. But definitely there's some out there where you can still register. But I imagine most people who are going to vote have registered. If you haven't, please do that. But yes, make your voice heard. Be careful. You know, it's like make a plan, stick to it. Stay safe. If you want to find a plan for how to vote, go to IWillVote.com and you can like check registration, check voting drop-off locations, voting locations, et cetera. And I think you're also able to track like the status of your ballot, right? At least here in California. Yeah, I did that. I have heard some people like get confirmations that theirs was counted. Yes, I signed up for that. It told me my ballot was sent. I haven't filled it out yet because ballot propositions, like, oh my God, every year. They all feel like scary traps. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> vote no on Proposition 420 if you don't not want people to lose their homes, but also if you don't not not want, maybe not want, <laughs> yes. yes. Like, it, it's, it's tricksy. So, you know, do your research and you know, figure out what you're actually voting on. A lot of times things are phrased very confusingly on purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Basically find advocacy groups that you agree with and see what they think. There's a good like LA Women's League that Rachel found that we've been generally sticking with. But that's no substitute for doing your own research. That's just like a suggestion. Yeah, definitely make sure you check out multiple sources and not just like blindly following one specific thing, you know? Except what we tell you to do which is to email <laughs> vorninja at gmail.com, your favorite Vorninja-related content. Beautiful. Yeah, and there's just countless videos on YouTube explaining all of this too for you guys if you really need help figuring some of these out. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, folks, that's our show for today. Wow, I don't think I've ever said that at the end of an episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's all, folks. This is the end of the podcast. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Bye, guys. Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>